0: Welcome to the next episode of the Next Level Life podcast. Today's episode is a special guest interview with Kate Marie O'Brien. Kate Marie is a visionary global voice for bold leadership, and she is all about playing it big and living from her truth. Her playful take-no-shit attitude calls people to move beyond their smallness, stuckness, and limitation, and helps them play at the level they were born for. She is the creator and founder of SHE, Australasia's largest leadership event coming up in August on the Gold Coast. After coming through tremendous challenges, including drug addiction, anorexia and depression, Kate became a recognised national leader in her field as a registered nurse speaking at international health conferences. She was nominated for a special regional health award for her national work in training doctors and nurses throughout New Zealand as powerful change agents and was a finalist for the New Zealand Emerging Speaker of the Year Award in 2013. She received high accolades for her work as national project manager with her work being featured at national conferences. Yet, despite a thriving career and with her dream job on offer, Kate let it all go to follow the internal nudge that led her to follow her passions. She's since created a global company specializing in empowering women's leadership and has a full team of 12 full-time employees and two leadership coaches who assist in some of her programs. Not only does she lead and speak authentically, she shows up online as herself and shares honestly throughout her journey and her experiences. you need to uplevel your mindset and set your soul on fire to take massive aligned action in your business so you can take your life to the next level. Ready to get started? Let's go. I'd love to welcome you to the podcast, Kate. Thank you so much for joining me today. Awesome. Thanks for having me here. I would love to just get started with, if you could just share with everybody who's listening, tell us a little bit about who is Kate Marie O'Brien and what is the work that you're doing in the world? Yep, absolutely.
1: So I am absolutely passionate about women's leadership and what that means to me is that in a leadership, women really getting that we are here for more and like just go and do it. Um, I've studied, you know, for many years in, in and, you know, ontological training and all sorts of stuff. Um, which came after the many years I had as rock bottom so I don't know really where my main training ground was whether it's the years of like extensive study that I did or whether whether it was like picking myself up off the ground I think both of them were like definitely my training grounds um, and I run big events I've got an event called she um, and also you know, my mom. I'm a mum I'm a mum and mum to teenagers so I think that's kind of qualifying in itself. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Absolutely. I, I think it's a mixture of both, right? It's got to be our journey and our experience as well as our education. And do you find that your journey then led you into your education and where what, what you decided to work on in the future? hundred percent. Yeah. If I could just give like a little bit of a
1: snapshot. So my background, for those of you who don't know me, um, I had anorexia for three years and I had a really rock bottom drug addiction where I really couldn't have gone any lower. Um, and, you know, was so confronted that I had to like make a decision of you know no more and you know there was a night where I had a little bit of a prayer to say basically please get me through tonight and I promise I'm going to dedicate my life to you know making all of that stuff that I went through actually meaningful versus being a complete waste of space and waste of my waste of everyone's time and so um, you know I can't even imagine having my life not have gone through that. I think sometimes, you know, if you were to pop up another level, there is possibly some kind of predetermination of the paths that we can go down. And, you know, now looking back, and for many years looking back, I can see that all of those things that I went through were perfect for what I needed to go through to have this, like, freaking fire in my belly that's had me be unstoppable and going through what it took to build my life to where it is now and then make the impact in the way that I do. So um, I, it was definitely like the um, cart before the, the horse before the cart for sure.
0: Mm, absolutely. I mean, they're huge things to overcome from drug addiction to, and you said bulimia as well as anorexia, hey? Like I've read bits and pieces about a little bit of your story. What yeah, do you feel? Depression
1: and really bad social anxiety, which is hilarious given that now I'll be speaking on stage in front of a thousand people
0: yeah incredible was there any component that you started on like where did you feel like you had to start before you could start to develop any form of thought of where your future would be
1: yeah totally got it um total freaking willingness to do what it took and for me the pain got so big And, you know, there's two things that will make people change. And either the pain has to get too big or the what's on the other side gets so exciting. For me, the pain got so big that I had to go just no more. And I got really, um, it was like became to the point of non-negotiable. Like there was no going back. I couldn't tolerate that level anymore. And so I, I was willing. It was the first time I was truly freaking willing. And then from that willingness, I made a commitment. And then it was just very, 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 very small steps. And then each small step led me to the next door, to the next door, to the next door. And it's quite amazing how these small parts of our journeys
0: really add up. Um, Did that answer your question at all? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's so true, like there's small little pieces that you think that are insignificant at the time, but then years later you look back and are just like, wow, that really did shape that decision I made, or that shaped how I got in touch with this person and that shifted and changed everything. So was there... Anything in particular, like when you look back now, is there any one person or is there any um, major event that started to change it away from looking at the pain to then looking towards what's exciting? I would say things are very incremental
1: and then there's those kind of pillar moments that do stand out. So the, one of the pillar moments that stood out was looking at my daughter one day and I've been actually inspired by the people in my life and it's interesting to look at people on pedestals and be really inspired there, which I have as well. But to look at the people in my life, and I've I was inspired early on by my daughter and really realizing that I'm her mum and she only gets one experience of a mum, and I wanted to make sure that was the best damn experience that I could possibly give her. She was two when I looked at her and thought that and thought, well, that means that I I really have to go to those parts within myself. So that became just like probably like it, you know, really. Put the roots down of that commitment for myself so from that day onwards i was completely just intolerant of any thoughts of being an asshole to myself in my head and it didn't and it was interesting because i i then from that day onwards realized that i have to pay attention where i am actually being an asshole to myself and then bring kindness to that mm. right so you know it would be noticing where I was degrading myself and then think to myself, well, I have to bring kindness and care there. And so that was like a start of the journey. But, um, over time, I would say it was from that real commitment on the inside. Like I just keep stepping through each door and that's how I've done it the whole way. I've never really set off at the start to get to this big place if that makes sense. so there was one point um, where several years passed that low point. I was working as a registered nurse, things were going really great, In fact, I had a big national career. And, and even then, I never set off to have this big national career, but I just went through the next door that was there. And the next door led to this bigger room on the other side. And then when I got into that bigger room on the other side, I just played full out, played full out to the fullest capacity, even though at times it just scared the pants off me. And that door that I stepped through at that point was applying for a job, a nursing job that felt really outside of my reach, but it was kind of like the next chair throw, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. if I'm standing here and I throw a chair as far as what I can throw it, then obviously where where it lands, it, it's, it is within my capacity, although it bloody hurt my arm to get it out there, right? So, you know, that I remember this was when my youngest son, who's now 12, was about four months old I was like I need to go back to nursing financially and I was looking in the paper and this one job came up as a clinical nurse educator now I'd only been a nurse for a little bit as a new grad years ago right before the drug addiction and so it was really outside of my comfort but I threw that damn chair as far as I bloody could and when I went into the interview I just talked my way into it good old number in New Zealand we call it like Kiwi ingenuity, like number eight wire. And so I actually had to um, Google before I went in, what does project management mean? (laughs) Wow. (laughs) And then I, I was like, so I got the Google answer back and I was thinking, okay, now how are all the ways in which I've project managed in my life? And I said, bloody hell, I grew up in an orchard and I, yeah, I used to project manage that grading shed when I was a teenager. So I just thought of all these ways in which I project managed stuff. And then in the interview, I just literally just talked this up. And anyway, I got the job. And afterwards they said to me, they laughed. They said, we knew you were totally the least experienced who applied. But they said there was a tenacity and this hunger they said that no one else had. And they thought that if they gave it to me, they were hoping that I would grab the ball by the horns and just take it. Well, And that's what it was. So I, that was like the first door, right? And then entering into that door was this bigger room that I hadn't played in before. And I had to really step up to a new level, improve the tenacity that I showed. So inside of that, that was another level of growth, right? And then what came out of that was I got a five-year national contract with the Ministry of Health because I fully played at that next room, right? And then, of course, on the other side of that was another door, which was the national contract. Oh, that was another massive big chair throw, really, like talked myself into that or talked them into it. And then on the other side of that was a, like this huge, big room that I couldn't have even comprehended back when I'd initially applied for that job. So I think the reason why I took the time to share that is I just think that doors are attached to, to doors. And I wouldn't have comprehended whatsoever Someone who I used to see myself back then as an ex-drug addict, an ex-drug addict that other people would write off. No one's going to give me a chance, right? So that wasn't even in my line of vision to like play for a national contract teaching nurses and doctors throughout New Zealand in a major, 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 major pro- like program being the lead mm. on that. And so... I think what I want to share here is sometimes it can be really hard to vision the next level. And I think that's sometimes where people get stuck. Either they don't know how to vision it or when they vision it, where the internal set points are, they're just so freaking far away from that vision is that that just, that, that gap derails mm. us immediately. So what I would say to people is, yeah, if you want to have a vision, go for it. And yeah, if that like that really top level vision inspires you, go for it. But also remember that it's the next big cheer throw in alignment with that vision. And then just put your focus there and play it, I was going to say, as if your life depends on it, but don't make it significant. Like play it fully and then it's going to give you all of the growth and the juiciness that's going to take you to the next, to the next, to the next. And it's interesting because once you get there, so many doors are going to pop open that you don't see. And you know, then there was a point that we were doing that for a while. This was when I was in mid-national project. Um, And I was, I knew that I wanted to make a difference with people. I didn't know in what capacity, but I wanted to use those experiences. And I remember that moment where I was lying on the ground praying for basically my life that night. And that kept like tapping at me, kept nudging at me. And I knew I was doing a great job with this national project, but I wanted to make a difference to people on that level. And so my husband and I, we started running free um, group trainings at our house a couple of times a week and we did it for two years. So basically we coached and we ran group programs for free from home and we had no vision once again of doing this as a business. We had no vision that we could get paid to coach or train or teach, but there was that that guiding and just like really trusting that next nudge and then just playing it fully. And Mm -hmm. so like, you know, for a couple of years, like we would, I'd come home from a national project. I would come home from teaching, we'd put our kids to bed, we lived in this old kind of rundown house in a really nice area, we are like, shittiest house in the best area. And then the kids would go to bed and we would put flip charts up all around our lounge and we would have people over and we'd go through these coaching kinds of things. We did that for a couple of years and it wasn't to the point where that then got to capacity and I was at capacity across the board. So I had to make a decision and I got to the point. And the decision was made more faster by the fact that I was offered a job as the nursing manager at the hospital. And so um, literally the day I got this dream offer, which I really was excited by, um, I realized that it wasn't the thing, so I handed my resignation in that day and then went full-time into whatever this thing was that we were doing. And then as you know, building up any business, it takes time, it takes time over time, dedication, going outside, and so that's what we did. Um, And because, yeah, and back then when we did it, um, there was, social media wasn't the way in which it is now, online marketing wasn't the way it is now. And so, you know, we had to, our first program, we had to take out an extra mortgage on the house because it was a physical product that we had to create in a studio that got produced. Uh, You know, not just like, with this like it is now so yeah that was uh, the the next part of the journey and then once again that kept unfolding
0: over the years to where we are now but there's so many different ways that you could look at it because it's like you know some people might look at that and go oh she took the big leap and she just went out and you know like went full into her business but you spent two years building it up too like you can't discount all the people that you saw every night of the week that were coming to your house for all those programs like that's marketing
1: Exactly. Well, we left with a skill set for sure. And that's the thing is that I personally, and I don't know, and I think like just really acknowledging everyone's got a different valid opinion. My opinion and what I've seen is that it's really useful for people not to leave too early Mm. Um, because I've noticed that people like they like burn the bridge and they leave their jobs too early and they leave their financial security too early and they kind of go out and either maybe their skill set hasn't been honed. You know, we honed it through years of being willing to do it for free. And they haven't also built up like the kind of resilience or they haven't built up different skill sets. And so they go out too early and then the focus is immediately, I must make money. money. Mm. And the focus goes to how the hell do I sell and trying to like, what are the tricks and techniques to sell versus actually building something of substance and offering real massive value. Mm. Um, Our first event we filled out with 200 people and it was a one day event and we didn't have any online presence back then but what we did have was just the willingness just to like think logically and laterally and outside of the box and I call it the creative solutions machine thinking and not that I did back then back then I was just like how the hell are we going to fill this event room and then we thought well logically we want people in the room where can we find people they're out on the street walking around so my husband every day would put on a suit from morning till night and he walked the streets for about four to five weeks wow talking, talking to people and he had about two to three hundred enrollment conversations every day with strangers in the in the street and we filled the
0: room it's a good way to take yourself sales
1: <laughs> yeah exactly you know i suppose i want to share that because i think i hear a lot of people now going i can't do it because i don't have an audience and i'm like like that's so convenient when we say i can't because of and it's like get out of jail free card it means i yeah. can't do that thing. Actually, I really challenge, I invite people to challenge themselves to go, well, actually, if I really got unstoppably committed, what are 100 ways in which I could create this? And we have so much more um, available around us to connect into if we're willing to actually step up. But guess what? You get uncomfortable. It was so uncomfortable for him, 10 hours every day for four to five weeks of walking the street and talking to strangers, and getting like a mixture of slap down and not, that shit feels uncomfortable, but what I've noticed is that a lot of people can do it, but they're not willing to feel the feels of looking like a dickhead in the process, that's essentially what I'd say. Yeah,
0: (laughs) I absolutely agree, and it's so easy, and so easy just to go, oh, it didn't work, or oh, I can't do that, and it's, yeah, I see that a lot as well, so I totally am on the same page. Do you find that you, like, I love how you have just articulated there like this through every stage that you've just like pushed the boundaries of fear. Did you find that you built that strength up along the way or was it something that you had as a tenacity as a kid that you were just like, I'm going to jump no matter what? Totally. I love this question. I've actually never been asked that. My mum,
1: so the she, our tagline is unstoppable is an understatement and that was a little hat nod to my mum who was literally the most unstoppable human being I've ever seen. She had her, it's funny, I feel emotional saying that. She had their son die when when she was young and um, she went into the doctor's office and I think it was about three weeks later um, after he died and the doctor, old school wise, said, you're just going to have to suck this up and get on with your life for your other son. This was before my sister and I were born. And so mum said she cried her last cry and she wiped her face and she left the doctor's office Determined to be the best mum she could be for my older brother. Mm. And they just went through such devastating stuff in their life. My dad ended up being an alcoholic after the death of my older brother. And it's funny because I have so much love and compassion for my parents, despite like the real intense alcohol violence that we went through. But, you know, as an adult, I can look back and I can think, shit, it must have been t-? like, I can't even imagine what that would have been like. And so here's my mum. She lost her son. Her husband becomes an alcoholic. There was violence. They, um, got, they, they had this one night. This is the gutsiness of my mum, and she's tiny. My dad was the manager of a pub and they were doing that financially to make it work. And we lived in a quite a poor area and it was a notorious gang pub. And so my mum used to go there at, um, at times when we were at school and she would wipe tables but she was actually keeping an eye on my dad to, pre- to have his back. Wow. And she's this small, tiny little thing, and she doesn't swear, not like me. And one night, um, or one day, I don't know if it was day or night, um, a gang member pulled a knife on my dad, and everyone stood back, all the bouncers. Mum jumped over the um, bar and stood in front of the gang member and my dad and told him to put his effing knife away holy hell yeah and so you know that's my mum and so I guess I've had the role model of an extraordinary woman with massive moral compass and just with gutsiness and you know I can talk about the days where she um the years that she used to get our food out of pig buckets because financially they were so broke um but you know they are now living comfortable they retired young they made it work they got themselves and they're actually multi-millionaires now and they went from such financial hardship, such emotional hardship, to these days, um, you know, mum and dad retired early. Dad's, you know, they're in a financial position that's that they're wealthy now. Um, and dad's alcohol free. And years ago, he apologized to our whole family and committed that he'd spend the rest of his life honoring mum and making it up to her. And so that's what he does now. He they retired and he just runs around. Um, doing whatever she puts on his list for him for the day. And he just spends his days building for her or sanding her deck and she drinks tea and they've got a gorgeous relationship.
0: Wow. That's massive. That's massive to be able to take that after, you know, I'm imagining he would have gone through some type of program to get off alcohol, but to be able to take that responsibility back and go, you know what, now I'm going to devote myself to you. Like I can imagine that you also would have been a huge component of him having that shift as well.
1: I would, I'm going to give my my sister the credit for this one. Yeah. Um, yeah. My, yeah. My sister who, can um, I kind of tell the story in a nutshell? Yeah. Um, my sister who, um, at her wedding, um, my dad had, it was like that up against the wall with the groom. So it was that kind of level of violence back then. So after about six months, she decided to forgive him and then see him as a leader. And she realized that he had never had anyone see him as anything else apart from being an asshole. And she thought, well, how can he be anyone else? If he's got a hundred million people looking at him as the asshole. Ooh. And so she rang him one day and she said, dad, I just want to say, I forgive you. And also I see you as a leader. And so she committed to ringing him every week for as long as what it took to keep reminding him that he's an extraordinary human and that he's a leader. That's and she Just kept doing it. And then over time, like he, he didn't know what the hell was happening. He didn't know where, and it took a long time, but over time he was like, what, what, you know? So he decided to step into that leadership and um, uh, went into AA and stopped drinking. And yeah, it just, it really taught me the power of, that we have to change relationships and to alter dynamics. Mm. And what I loved, and we, we were talking about it back then, my sister and I, is that she didn't do it with this expectation that he had to be a certain way because then what would have happened if she had have had that expectation is two to three months in, he was still alcoholic. Wow, well, bugger then, look, you've just proved to me that you're an asshole. Look how much time I've invested into showing you that you're a leader. You just proved that you're a prick. So what she didn't come at that, so it meant that she had the stamina to keep going and then one day he was just
0: like, holy crap, maybe there is hope for me and he took it. Wow. Massive. Incredible. Yeah. Shit yeah. Sounds amazing. So, and you're so right. Like we do have the power to change the relationships in our lives, but so many people take that as, you know, it's out of my control or I'm just going to cut people out because they're toxic in my life. Like I would yeah. imagine you would have a different take on toxic relationships coming from that background.
1: Yep, totally. I think you have to be very, very, very clear with your standards. And it's interesting because it's a fine line between being really, um, what we just talked about just then but also not tolerating any bullshit within your own life mm. And and you have to have your standards up there and if people are being toxic Towards you. Yeah, you get to totally put down that that boundary line raise a standard and I was gonna So what I think is so important because we've just talked about something. That's almost Like I'm gonna say like a little bit advanced mm. You have to be in a great place to be able to do that because it does require really clear boundaries And I would say that first and foremost, depending on where someone's at, if you're in some kind of toxic relationship with someone or toxic relating, you've got to work on your own boundaries and standards and ability to remove yourself and go hands off first
0: before you try and kind of be there for the other
1: person. I would say that's
0: pretty important to add. Mm, Absolutely. So, I mean, I was going to ask you why you're so passionate about leadership, but by the sounds of it, you've had so much amazing leaders in your life to show you the impact that great leadership can have. So rather than asking you that, I'd love to know what your mission is in regards to having great leadership or diving into this space of leadership.
1: Yep. I see that each person has massive unique gifts and skills, and I'm going to focus on women because that's where my heart is at. But each woman, you know, we all come through with a particular kind of journey and we've got the different experiences and lessons that we have along the way and it's really easy to, when you're inside your own experience, self-doubt your own journey and your own skills and your own unique perspectives and gifts and talents and strengths because it's easy to look out and go, oh, that's what leadership's supposed to look like. That's what this is supposed to look like. And then in seeing these other versions which are perfect for them, as the thing, then to discount this over here, and so what I'm so passionate about, and I and why I share in the way that I do on social media, is that I want to keep reminding like each woman that you've got like perfect um, skills and perspectives and talents, and your journey has been custom built for whatever you're being called to, and so to take your eye. comparing from anyone else and take out any kind of these ideas of who you're supposed to be in your head and like come in here and just like really give yourself the permission it takes a bit of nuts to do it too and go actually I'm gonna really trust what I'm being called to I'm gonna really trust where I'm being nudged because not everyone else is being nudged in that way I had the privilege of talking to this gorgeous Indian woman in New Zealand and she said you know for years that she kept having this idea to set up this network for Indian women. But, you know, who am I to do it? That's what she said to me. I'm like, honey, I don't wake up in the morning going, I want to set up a network for Indian women in New Zealand. <laughs> I said, that one's custom built for you. So you got to do it, you know, because everyone has that shared, oh, but, you know, who am I to go and do that? I certainly had, well, who am I to do this? I'm just an extra addict. So I'm just this and I'm just that. Well, actually, when I turned that around, I did realize that I'm freaking custom built for doing the thing that I'm called for. It is those things that I went through that not only make me, who am I to? It's like, who am I not to? Because I've had such unique experiences that I've got like a little bit of grit that I can go toe to toe with stuff. Mm. So I think, you know, that's really where I'm more passionate about and then just keep reflecting that back to others. Like, well, you have got something within you. You have got something within you. Trust it, trust
0: it. Mm. And that's such, you know, I see that a lot as well. I totally understand where you're coming from. And most people do like wait for the permission to, for it to be okay for them to step forward or they literally just constantly talk themselves down in their own head. So you've been able to, throughout your journey, really look, work on managing your mindset. But so for someone who is really struggling with that inner self-talk, what, what advice would you have for them? Yep, welcome
1: to the club. I'm still <laughs> not out of it, that's what I'd say. And that's also one of the things that I like to remind and share about is that I still self-doubt. I still get anxiety at times. You know, the whole chronic anxiety that I used to have years ago, I'm not 100% clear of that. And in fact, it, like when you're really up to stuff and willing to step into new levels, that stuff comes up again because the new level that you step into activates everything that's lying dormant right? And, you know, we're wired like that. We could go into the science of it. But the reality is just to know that you're not alone and that as much as what we can say that here, it still feels so damn isolating when you're home alone in your bedroom or in your kitchen and you've got this self-doubt going. It's easy to fantasize that other people aren't experiencing that. Well, I can tell you hands down, I still experience experience it, but I think I've had enough experience over time to learn that it really is no barometer on what I have to contribute and so I listen to it from the point of view of like what do I need what do I need to do to support myself but not from the point of view
0: of giving it weight Mm. and value of what it's actually saying Mm, that's important hey like we give it value and it becomes the power and just overtakes and it's just you know yeah. debilitating for a lot of people can self-doubt can be really debilitating for sure so i would imagine that that would come up for you in your speaking as well how have you developed your speaking career and how have you found you've been able to overcome that throughout that
1: Totally. Um, I used to be so a keynote speaker in New Zealand. I did a lot of keynote talks, and I'm not sure if you know, but I was um, finalist for New Zealand Speaker of the Year, which, you know, that was, I'm going to say again, very incrementally. My first talk had four people in the room, and I shat my pants all night about it. I literally couldn't sleep the night before. I felt sick because there was four people I was going to have to speak in front <laughs> of. And, and I think, you know, what we talked in the, in the beginning of this conversation Um, you know the door opens we step through the door and on the other side of that door is whatever size room is our next stretch so a lot of times people like I want to be the speaker and in their mind they're like in this big they're seeing themselves in a big room but they may not yet have the capacity for that you know if the who I was back then with the internal structures that I had if you had to put me on a stage with a thousand people that would have been almost fractionating to my personality. It would have been so much that I probably would have had a breakdown and recoiled. But incrementally, it's that same word again, you know, incrementally I did a talk with four people, I talked with five people, I talked with 10 people and kept doing it and kept stretching myself and kept playing full out. And then over time, it's just like the, the, the size of the room kept growing. And so then I got to the point where I could do more and more and more.
0: Mm, beautiful. And so do you have a routine that you follow to prepare yourself for a speaking opportunity?
1: Uh, it changes. I've had a big shift in the last couple of years. Years ago when I was doing a lot of keynotes, it was very structured and I would use kind of like a lot of stage, um, NLP kind of stage performance sort of stuff because I studied that for so many years. And then I kind of got to the point where I actually just decided that I wanted to bring other elements of my personality through that, like that, that, that way of speaking didn't really touch. And so, you know, my last talk, which was with a thousand people in the room, um, the day before I was rehearsing what I had written and I was like, I fucking hate this. I literally hate it. There's something that's just not gelling. And I felt so uncomfortable, Christine. I felt almost like angry, frustrated like overwhelmed by it because I'm like I'm getting on stage tomorrow with a thousand people and what I've had prepared there's something in it that I hate so I was just like oh I feel sick about this but so I ripped it all up and then I was like what do I really want to share and say what's actually the difference and I realized that there were two types of talks the first one that was prepared that was all about um, making me look good (laughs) right? Yeah. And then there, was, yeah. then there was a talk when I checked in here is what do people really need to hear? Mm. And so I wrote that one and um, I'm so glad I had the willingness to rip it up. But I think that's part of our growth evolution is that the thing, let's call this the, the talk, let's call this the scripted, well-rehearsed, would have got a standing ovation talk, right? And then that served me for many years. But as I step into a new level of what I want where I want to lead from, like every level of the structure that served at that level, we're using this as a metaphor, we have to be willing to go, <laughs> I'm going to rip up the script of what that is. And now I'm going to step into a new level. And it's so foreign that I feel like I'm jumping off a cliff. I've got no transcript for this one. I'm going to have to make it up as it goes. And, it re- and then – because it's like you're back to square one each new level makes you the beginner again guess what comes up hello self-doubt hello fear hello anxiety so one thing i just think is you just it doesn't go away you just get really good of recognizing it and then what i've learned is just to bring it with me and talk about it and bring it in because then it kind of loses its power and i do find that um it makes it more useful for other people too
0: Mm, absolutely did you find like Early on, we're talking about those like scripted, literally scripts. Were you finding that it didn't really encompass your story? Like, did you Were you sharing your story early on about the journey that you've been through or was it something that has come up in the, only the last, say, you know, couple of years?
1: Yep. Um, I started sharing my journey really openly, um, started off with around um, addiction when I decided I wanted to make a difference in New Zealand around pea addiction, it was pea that I was addicted to. And so... Um, yeah, I just played full out in that arena and took it on as like a voluntary thing. And then doors lead to doors lead to doors. And then I found myself stepping onto a stage in um, Hawke's Bay, New Zealand, a thousand people in the audience. And I was going to share for the first time publicly about my experience of coming through addiction. And my key message was around hope. One, I'd never spoken to an audience that size. Two, it was in my hometown Three, I was working as a nurse at that time, and there was, you know, people from the hospital there, and four, I was publicly admitting, hey team, I've been a pee addict, you know, the most shameful thing I felt that I could expose, and I remember standing there backstage, and I was um, so nervous that just as they called my name on on the mic, I went to step out, but I just burst into tears, and um, I turned around and went back out um, to the kind of wings, and I just stood there and cried. And um, Sir Paul Holmes, who, um, the late Sir Paul Holmes was standing there, he was New Zealand's most um, famous television um, presenter, um, he had had a, yeah anyway, so he um, held my hand and walked out with me and said that he would love to come out with, as support and it was so beautiful and so I just stood there and um, I actually talked and did my talk with tears rolling down my face. Wow. Wow. Because I, the only thing that actually got me out on the stage that day was I thought if there's one person in the audience that needs to hear this, to remember to have love for their loved one who's stuck in addiction, not that they have to do it for them, not that they have to go there and do the hard work for them or the waits for them, but just to remind them that, you know, that we've all got a possible future and to kind of hold that candle for their loved one, then I thought it's worth it. So mm. that's what got my ass out onto the stage when everything was saying, run, to yeah. So yeah, you know. It was the start of it. And then um from the yeah, just keep following each doorway that
0: opened. But even having the ability to switch that, like that is even a mindset shift. Like being able to go like you're in your own stuff, you're freaking out, the people who are there that are gonna, you know, possibly judge you, have you know, certain reactions and how that's affected who you are as a person and your identity, and that's so exposing, to mm. then have, you know shift completely and be like hang on it's not about me it's about them like that's huge
1: yeah yeah I um but I think that's also really important so for anyone who's listening to that and I'm going to give like a little bit of a tip on what I do and I have done for many years before I get on to a meeting and before I speak because I found it really useful but I do want to remind you that you know when our stuff and it might sound cliche but when we are doing it to make a difference to someone then that is the thing that can get us over our own hurdles And that has been the only freaking thing that's got me over my own hurdles because every step of the way, I've got to say, I've pushed myself into rooms that I have no idea how to navigate, but it's only in the navigation, sorry, it's only in the kind of knowing why I'm doing it that has me kind of fumble in the dark in that room trying to find the light switch. Otherwise, the size of that room has been quite overwhelming at every single stage. But you know, that's the thing is, you know, you go into a new room And then you grow yourself to the capacity of that new room. And a lot of times, people are here. I want everyone to like listen into this bit because this has made the difference to me. You know, I see a lot of times people are sitting in the room that they've already grown quite big for, right? And then they sit there trying to plan out what they're going to need at the next room, and they're trying to plug all of the holes before they go there, and trying to figure it all out before they're willing to walk through the door. You just can't do it like that. You can't pre-plan for something that you really have no idea what it's about. And it just becomes, once again, another convenient way for never actually putting yourself into the space of uncomfort that really is going into the new room.
0: Because I'm not ready.
1: Not ready, and I've got to figure it out, and I've got to work this out, and I've got to, well, no, just move yourself into it. And we're not saying move into room five. Yeah, good
0: point. We're saying move into
1: your next room. And, you know, you don't, don't think about room two, three, four, or five. No, but get your ass up and move into the next room and then play there fully and be fully at that stage with all of the juicy lessons and the shit your pants moments. And then you'll grow yourself to that room and then move, move. But, um, but apart from that, so here's my tip. Before you go into a, into a talk on stage, there's a question that I ask myself nowadays, not back then, I don't know how to say this, but I will ask myself um, two questions. Is who are they to me, the audience? And so, if I don't ask that, what I might be thinking they are to me is people who are perhaps are further along, they're they're, they're judging, they are like you know wanting to approve me. You know what I mean? So like let's say I'm walking into, and so I'll ask like who are they to me? And I'm like the mums, the sisters, the women who have created epic things and who struggle with their own shit at times. And the women who perhaps maybe holding them back themselves back in a certain area that they're not showing the world, but they're kind of keeping it here. But like, I'm happy, but fuck me. Don't, you know, don't see this thing about me. So I ask myself, and it will be different for different audiences, but who are they to me? And I create that intentionally. Mm-hmm. And love then that. the second thing I ask myself is, who am I to them? And I create that intentionally.
0: Mm-hmm. And then oh, I, I step that. out onto the stage. Yeah, beautiful. Oh, that's so good because it's it's so interesting because everyone's are uh, just human beings. I do the same thing. It's so interesting that you saying that because I literally go like they're humans. Like they're not above me. They're not below me. It's literally like they're human beings just like me. And I have a voice and I get to share my journey with the purpose of them being able to then experience something that they might take away to enhance their lives. Like it's so interesting that yeah, when you otherwise you end up putting people on a pedestal and then you end up not performing at your best or not showing up as your fullest potential because you're thinking you're not as good, right? Or not good enough to share. Like, yeah, I love that. So what I love about what most people, and this is obviously other people's opinions, but um, what what I've heard about you potentially is that you very much share authentically. Is that something that you did right from the get go or was it that you've sort of developed your ability to share authentically or you just like you know what no holds barred I'm just going all in um
1: one and two together yeah not three <laughs> I was never like nah just no it was yes I've always done it from the start um because that was actually really the only thing that um lying on the ground that night that I prayed for um I knew I wanted to make a genuine difference so it wasn't really ever about like trying to look good it was because I actually want to make a fucking difference to people mm. but then also I had to grow my capacity for that gradually over time because I was very freaking vulnerable and very freaking fragile and the biggest like loop that always came up for me we all kind of have our own loops my one was like I've done something wrong definitely put in his childhood like with you know dad being an alcoholic was always getting like the steel cap boot up my ass and I wasn't looking so you know I'd get this like I've done something wrong like shit, I'm about to do something wrong, right, so that was as a kid, but as an adult, if I went out on stage, in any capacity, video, whatever, and shared myself vulnerably, afterwards, moment the camera turned off, moment I step up on stage, guess what would come up, fuck, I've done something wrong, I've done something wrong, and then my brain would start radar. Right like this part of my chest would activate, so we're not, when that's activated, there's a part of my chest that feels like this, and then that would then activate this radar, okay review what you said now let's find the part where you actually screwed up right and so I'd start looking for that so what I'm saying is that yes I've always wanted to and I've always to a capacity been open but that openness and the genuine more and more and more openness has been kind of like I'd say flower opening up as my capacity got stronger to be with the um, uncomfort that comes up with it Mm. and to be able to feel it and you know not have it like majorly radaring or if it is radaring not have it have teeth Mm. does that make sense
0: yeah and i imagine it would also come with the capacity to be able to handle feedback as well like how do you how do you handle the opinions of others i mean being open so open on social media i'm sure you get comments after comments
1: a ton, a ton, a ton. And since going out with She, it's gone like 10 times more. Really? Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Like daily, massive. Well, one thing is I actually just put in like a um, an actual logistical barrier recently. I decided that, you know, apart, apart from on Instagram, yeah, most of my social media, I have my team checking now. And so that they're just filtering out some of the garbage, which is just awesome read it all. Um so you know that was just like a logistical way to deal with it. But also it depends what's coming from. Um, if it's someone I find that if it's coming from someone I know, then that has more sting. And you know, it's easy to go, no, oh, I'm completely fine. But the reality is there's a gradient of how much it stings or not. If it's from people I don't know and I can just say it's just bullshit, someone just taking a perception of me, really that is genuine quite water off a duck's back because I think well who really cares? You know, you play at a certain level and you just become more exposed for a lot of people like, cool, bring it on. It just shows me how much, you know, my, you know, the, the message I'm wanting to get out there for women is getting out there. But if it's from someone that I personally know, yep, I find it stings. Um, mm. And then it's just for me just to work out through myself, right?
0: Yeah. Like how much of their opinion matters and what am I making it mean about me? And like all of those things, it's, it's an interesting yeah. place to be, to be hanging out. So um, tell us a little bit about She. I want to hear all about it.
1: I'm so excited. Uh, <laughs> so She is a thing that I've dreamt about for, you know, it's, so after years of running workshops, have been running workshops now for 10 years, and for the last about five, six years, have been running big two-day 100 people per event. And so now this is like She, and it's three days, Australasia's largest women's leadership event, and we've got a lineup of celebrity speakers, three days and it's a mix of quite a few things but essentially we've got on one level we've got a celebrity speaker lineup and I've hand-picked women who like legendary empire building women they've just been the epitome of unstoppableness and creating like epic empires Um, and the reason why I picked them it's not because of the empires they've built it's what they've demonstrated along the journey of unstoppableness Um, and then it's it's a three-day I call it like personal development on steroids. So it's three days of massive personal development and leadership training. Going through like, you know, day one and day two, there's gonna be like a massive like unpacking of the things that people haven't actually seen in their blind spot, bringing that through, unpacking, releasing, and then through to day three is gonna be really a rewriting of what is, like what is it that you are wanting to step into. Once we kind of wipe the board clear, with like taking all the kind of like shit that we've sort of, you know how you got stuff in the background, right? All of the stuff that's in the background that usually goes unsaid. It's often like uncommunicated concerns of who you are and blah, 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 that you can't do it. Basically on day one and two, we're bringing that through and we're going to clear it out. Because this here gets kind of projected out into the future. And so we're going to be clearing that out and then basically rewriting from there um, with so much extra epicness, Throughout it, So, yeah, it's super powerful, potent three days and fun.
0: Oh, my God. Oh, my God. We're going to have so much fun. Oh, it so, sounds so good.
1: So that's good. the 18th of August,
0: yeah. And so what are you wanting people to walk away with from the she?
1: A hundred percent people are going to walk away like just going, so I'm being them. I'm being them walking away that it's going to go, holy crap. I am a fucking epic human being. Watch out, world. I am extraordinary. Like, that's the, and not just like a feeling, not just a thought here, but like the experience of, yeah, who I am as a human being rocks the fucking world. Mm. That is the best damn foundation to go, cool. So now I've just kind of realized that. I'm fucking cool. Like, let's just take this whole conversation off the table of, am I good enough? No, I'm awesome. Okay. And I also get that the self-doubt, it's going to come up at times. Cool. So let's just take off the table, trying to eliminate it constantly and waiting for it to go away before I do my thing in the world. Right? So those are like two big things off the table. Now with the table clear, what do I want to create in the world? And it might be in the world like that, or it might be in my family in my relationships, what are like the, what is the level of relationships that I want to have? And I talked about having a new, newly really recreated relationship with my dad. There is so much possibility for each of us that I just get so excited by what each of our potentials are. And so that's the kind of, that's what people are going to walk away with, mm. totally getting their own power that's already within them. Not that they've got to do another five million things to connect into that and find it. No, you're already awesome and you've got so much within you. And it gets activated during the three days and then like actually this is what I want to play for and with a game plan to go towards it day three is a lot about rewriting the future and then gathering the tools that you're going to need for the journey tools that are really translatable at each phase along the journey so does that make sense mm,
0: absolutely and so it's for women in general either right? want to be able to play at a high level
1: yes women in general um, but also, we've put on the on the page that it's actually you know it's anyone anyone who feels drawn to the ethos and the vibe of this.
0: Yeah, awesome, yep. awesome. Not to mention like the incredible speakers, but also the amazing people you would meet there. Like I love going to events like that because you get to meet people you would never have ever run into or or met anywhere else that are on the oh. same wavelength, same vibration of you, and you can just build some great friendships from that place. Hey.
1: Oh, look, I'm so excited. A lot of the speakers who are on the main stage are coming as participants themselves and have got themselves tickets. And so the women in the room, I'm so freaking excited by. Um, But also, like, one of the things I'm going to kind of give myself a little bit of props here is that Hinari and I, we've been running events for so many years, and one of the things that we are really good at is having people feel epic about who they are and having everyone on the same level. And that's one of the things we like to do is remove like the levels and the platforms and the hierarchy of who people are. So, you know, there might be a, a, I know there's a woman coming in the room, and she's got 3.8 million followers, right? She's is an attendee. So the same as a mum who is, you know, selling tomatoes, we just have different expressions and we're different, you know, it's different parts of our journey. We've got different mm. things we're called cool for. So that's definitely one of the things we're going to be establishing like on day one is that we are all on the same um, level. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you just get to really enjoy the expression that you're here for. And I think it's really beautiful then when we stop trying to put people on a pedestal as well.
0: Mm, agree. Yeah. Totally agree. Love it. I'll make sure I put all the details and the links in the show notes so people can head across and grab, grab some tickets because I'm sure it's going to be an epic event. I would love to know what are you stepping into now. Like I know you've got this massive event happening, but I would love because it sounds like your one of your core values seems to be growth and expansion. So what are you stepping into next? What's happening for you? What are you? Where are you expanding yourself?
1: <laughs> I keep saying that I've just got to look at she first. Um, so obviously she is so much part of my focus, but uh, after that, I've got a um, I've got an exporting company as well, and so we are looking at like the next phases for growth here. Um, and we've got a lot. We're kind of entering into and that with that company a lot of like redesigning our products and stuff like that um and i've got a book that's definitely nudging me to come out i want to write a new york times best-selling book and it's all in here just it's almost like once she's done i'm gonna I'm thinking of taking a month off just to write um that awesome book yeah those are the things that are kind of um more prominently calling me at the moment but there's a few things that are nudging but they're kind of a little bit further along than that
0: yeah incredible Ah, oh, i just want to take this opportunity to acknowledge you for the work that you're doing in the world and the way that you portray yourself and allow yourself to be so open and honest and authentic and you know, I hate giving thinking people don't have to have permission, but you are, you're allowing people to, we're giving people the permission to show up and be their fuller selves and be okay with their uniqueness because we're so often told we're not good enough in the in society. So I just want to acknowledge you for all this work that you're doing and the incredible event that you're about to put on.
1: Thank you, I super appreciate that.
0: I just love this conversation today. I want to thank you so much for joining me and I wish you all the best for the event. Oh, thanks Christine. My pleasure. Thank you for listening and I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the next level life podcast I'd love to hear any takeaways that you've had from today's episode so please share with me on Instagram and Facebook and if you feel so moved please pass this episode on to any friends or family that you feel may benefit from it looking forward to speaking with you next week and here's to taking your life to the next level